Your Story with Melinda Estabrooks, an exclusive presentation of Faith Strong Today. Listen for new episodes every Monday and subscribe to the podcast at faithstrongtoday.com. Our stories have the power to connect us, to inspire us, and give us courage. On Your Story with Melinda, your story matters. Well, it's going to be a great show here on Your Story with Melinda because I have my good friend, Wendy Vanderwall-Gritter, with me right here in studio. Thrilled to have you here, Wendy. And I know for you, listeners, you are going to love her thoughtfulness and what she has to say to us. But let me just do a quick bio of her because it's, it's quite impressive. <laughs> Wendy has served as Executive Director of New Direction Ministry since 2002 when she started at 15 years old. Yes. She's <laughs> <laughs> she is finishing up her doctorate at Knox College in Toronto. She's also the author of a fantastic, thoughtful book called Generous Spaciousness that you can buy at newdirection.ca. She is married to Carl, has three beautiful, wonderful teenagers I saw on Facebook that they were a little <laughs> annoyed that their name didn't come up on that. But we'll talk about that a little yeah, later. Yeah, she has right. three great teenagers and three puppies. You have three puppies? Yeah, you know, they're small dogs, so we just call them puppies in perpetuity, like, you know. Now, are puppies like having teenagers? Because I've all, you know what, Wendy, I've wanted a puppy, but I've heard that it's actually like having a child. Oh, it is. Yeah. 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 We have a Yorkie, Shorkie, and Chorky, and uh, Pippin's the patriarch, and... You know, he's he's got his mood, and yeah, no, they all have personalities, and awesome. yeah, they give us the well. I travel a lot with my work, so they definitely give me the cold shoulder if I've been gone too long. So they're actually like humans, or or like boyfriends, like moody teenagers. Moody teenagers okay. <laughs> so really, that means I'm a mom of six teens, which oh. I should get a gold star yes, for that. I'm yeah, so sorry. You know, Wendy, today we're I, I, this theme that we had talked about, you know, before the show was the sense of like not fitting in. And mm-hmm. we were actually saying how many of us at some season or time in our life or even all through our life have always felt that we either didn't belong, we didn't fit in, that we were different. Mm-hmm. And that theme seems to really resonate with you in your own story. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that. Because, I mean, I know you as a friend, but I don't think I've really heard Mm. sort of the depths of your story in in this theme. Yeah, and sometimes personas, public personas, hide our stories, right? People look and say, oh, she's an executive director. She's an author. She's finishing her doctorate. But, uh, yeah, my story begins before my first memory, of course, Mm -hmm. uh, like all of us. But uh, my mom died when I was 16 months old. And that has forever marked and shaped my sense of identity, my standing in life. Um, you know, it's it's odd to think of how does that mean you don't fit in, except that it plants this seed of abandonment. And uh, so that was very formational. My dad remarried when I was three and had a stepmom. And I have a, one older sister who didn't connect as well with my stepmom. And so there was always sort of this tension of who is this new person? <laughs> uh, but they started to have kids pretty quickly. And suddenly I had three half sisters. And so that is, if you do the math, that's five girls in one family. And wow. that's a lot of competition. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a lot of um, sibling rivalry in a way. And so I found myself gravitating towards my father and trying to do activities with him as a way of trying to somehow, I think, stand out and feel special in that uh, family of of women. And that went really well 
you know, gardening, chopping wood, doing construction jobs. And then when I was 12, uh, I was a late bloomer. So I was pretty insecure about like, when is puberty going to happen? Will I ever get breasts? (laughs) Seriously? And then my brother was born. Hmm. So child number six, only boy. uh, And all of a sudden, it was this crisis of who am I in this family? Hmm. I've always sort of been dad's son, surrogate son. Um, It wasn't that I hated being a girl, but it was the place where I had value. And now all of a sudden, uh, and and it wasn't anything my father said or anything. It was all internal dialogue for me. But the birth of my brother really put me into a, a sense of crisis of, you know, I'm not making it as a woman. I'm a late bloomer. Uh, and all the insecurities of having been bullied quite a lot in school, uh, I think, crashed in on me around that time. So it was, it was challenging. And uh, not long after that, I... We had a new teacher who came into my Christian school and uh, volunteered to teach physical education. And I was not uh, a particularly athletic kid, but I was drawn to this woman. Um, I I grew up in a Christian reform context, which often has a very strong ethnic culture of Dutch immigrants. Mm -hmm. And my birth mom was Canadian, and so there was a sense of, yeah, I'm kind of... Dutch, but maybe not all the way. Mm-hmm. Um, the statement, uh, if you ain't Dutch, you ain't much, you know, <laughs> has wounded so, so many people mm-hmm. who have felt like outsiders in that community. And to some degree, I think internally, I always felt like, yeah, that kind of kind of even applies to me. Um, and this woman who came to volunteer at her school wasn't Dutch. So Ooh. partly, I think that was the allure of yeah. she was Baptist and not oh, Dutch. No. Oh, no. So she must be fabulous. Um, I think even then I was sort of drawn to the different. and mm. It seemed exciting. And uh, she was very passionate about physical education and passionate about teaching. And uh, she seemed like a very confident, put together woman. And I was a very insecure sort of teenager. And so we we became friends, and I would babysit her kids, and then we'd talk and talk and talk. And we used to talk about the fact that we were kindred spirits, mm-hmm. which I didn't realize at the time is great code language for codependent relationship. <laughs> like, no one else, you know, connects yeah. like we do. We have this special bond. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, we, in grade nine, I went on a canoe trip, and all the grade nines did, and I was in her canoe. And it was a week long, and by the end of that, um, I think I'd sort of given my heart and soul to this woman. Uh, and it it didn't occur to me that, that that would be anything romantic or, you know, in that sense, mm-hmm. but it was a relationship in which I felt heard. It was a relationship in which I felt valued. And so that only intensified through my high school years. And when I left home at 16, I went and moved in with her family. And what I didn't realize, in fact, didn't realize for a very long time was sort of how um, suffocating the relationship was for me in that I didn't really have a typical high school life or a teenager life because I was always with this woman who was 17 years older than I was, who was married and had two children. Now, did you have, Wendy, other friends your age as well, or was it really just her? Well, you know, she was my volleyball coach, and volleyball was my world. And Mm -hmm. so certainly I had peers, I had teammates, um, 
when you're in a Christian high school, there's, you know, you're a pretty small class. Um, but that sense of not fitting in, that mm-hmm. sense of being bullied through elementary school, in high school, that continued to some degree. And uh, so it was my safe place to be, okay. to be known, mm-hmm. to have, you know, a higher level of conversation, um, more intellectually stimulating. Uh, and then when I went to university, I chose the university that she went to, did the degree program that she did. Uh, and her family was supposed to move to New Brunswick, which is where I did my undergraduate work. And then at the last moment, she moved to BC and I went to New Brunswick knowing no one. And so that, that undercurrent of profound insecurity that relationship crumbled. Uh, she said, you know, you've ruined my life. I don't ever want to speak to you or see you again. And at that point, I was just completely isolated, felt like I had sort of lost those years of my life. And it, it meant a lot of insecurity and where do I belong? And I was estranged from my family at that time. Like, who do I belong to? Uh, what is my significance? Um, being called into ministry as a woman in a denomination that didn't accept women into ministry. In so many ways, it was, I'm the wrong person at the wrong time, in the wrong place, in the wrong body, uh, with the wrong calling. And uh, God, God managed to make something beautiful out of all of that mess. So you're at this place now where you're really confronted with yourself. Mm-hmm. I mean, you are, like you said, you're estranged from your family. Who are you? What, what, because I know that even for myself, there have been places that I have felt that. And I wonder if many, most people do, mm-hmm. that at some point in their life, there is that dread and deep sense of, I'm different, which means that I'm alone, or I there's shame about who I've become, or... Mm-hmm who I am. How did you, from that place, make sense of it? You know, was it a a moment of God, a connection with him, like a, you know, a Damascus Road experience? Has it been a gradual understanding of yourself and and who you are? Because, you know, now you're, you're married, you have three teenagers, and, and you're an executive, you know, director. So your life on paper would be like, wow, well, then she now has it all together. And she's arrived, and she's at that place. But I don't think that's how easy it was the road to the to you now no if you page through the many journals of where are you god do you love me god mm-hmm. you would see that that certainly wasn't a, an easy road i think what first rescued me was my sense of calling hmm. uh, my passion for jesus my deep desire to share that with other people um, i having been bullied i had a tremendous heart for people on the margins that they would know that they know that they know that they know that God loves them. Um, Although often for myself, that was still a burning question. Am I close enough to God? Have I prayed enough? Have Mm -hmm. I done enough? And so even in this passionate calling, I think there was a striving. And it wasn't until um, not too long ago, a number of years ago, that something shifted in my own spiritual life. And I finally came to rest in knowing that I'm the beloved. Mm, it's beautiful. As I sit and, and you know look at you and your your face comes alive when you talk about you know Jesus rescuing you. 
was there always a sense that Jesus was with you, even with this new family, your brother being born, the loss of this very close relationship? Because for some people, it would be like he wasn't important. There wasn't a real sense of like a true relationship with him. Mm. But it seems that somehow in that he was there with you and you had a sense of him being with you. Well, it's interesting because I was a very mystical child. Mm -hmm. And those experiences of the divine, I didn't have language for. And I almost felt like I had to protect that experience from the religiosity that surrounded so much of my life. And so it wasn't until a lot later that I realized what an intimate and beautiful connection that I've had with God all along. Mm. Wow. You know, Wendy, let's pick up from what you said before. You said this beautiful, uh, sort of almost quote, it said, I'm the beloved and I'm at rest. I'm finally at rest. Talk to me about that because to me, in such a, this frenetic pace of life, to be at rest and the word, you know, beloved isn't mm-hmm. one that we actually use. It's not a common, you know, mm-hmm. phrase or word that we use. Talk to me about that, because that, that actually puts me at rest by just saying that yeah, and seeing yeah. it. Yeah, I certainly was drawn to a number of spiritual leaders and teachers and authors, uh, Henry Nowen being one of them. And he has the book, The Life of the Beloved. And so in part, that word seemed like this gift from, ironically, this this Dutch <laughs> Roman mm-hmm. Catholic priest. Um but my my work with New Direction is with the LGBT population. And so this is a group of people who've often been alienated and marginalized in the church, have experienced a lot of shame, uh, certainly not fitting in, being different. And here I was called to be a pastor among them, and they pastored me. Mm-hmm. What I kept seeing were gay Christians who wrestled with the text, um, wrestled with a longing to be in a relationship and to have a family and feeling this incredible tension of what if I'm wrong? What if what if I make the wrong choice? What if I disappoint God? What if somehow, you know, I the choice I make is really unrepentant sin? Uh, what will that mean for me? And I saw them time and time again kind of come to, it was for me, it was this, I visualized this cliff. They would get to the edge of the cliff And they would say, I can't dot every I and cross every T. I don't have 100% certainty that God would bless me in a same-sex relationship, but I have to believe that God is for me. I have to believe that even if I'm wrong in my best attempt at interpreting Scripture, that God's grace and his mercy will catch me and unfold me if I jump off this cliff. And what I actually saw was a profound faith because they didn't have 100% certainty, but they trusted that they were the beloved. And in the process of seeing this time and time again in, in my siblings in Christ's lives, and during my own struggle with um, what, what do I believe about these things? I'm leading a ministry, like I need to figure it out. I realized how much of my Christian life had been energized by fear. Mm. And that was a huge awakening for me. Uh, In one of Henry Nouwen's books, he speaks about moving from the house of fear to the house of love. And I began this practice of the heart 
that, uh, you know, the easy button at Staples? Mm -hmm. I would visualize that button with the word pause on it. And every time I could feel the anxiety rising up for, for a whole host of reasons, I would imagine myself pressing pause and asking myself this question, am I being energized by fear or by love? I knew the text that said perfect love drives out fear. There is no fear in love. Fear has to do with punishment. And I realized that that's what I had internalized. My striving to be a passionate follower of Jesus had been so energized by fear. Now, instead of feeling ashamed about that, it was so liberating for me. It was liberating to relinquish the fear and say, you know, I've been ministering to people for years saying, you need to know that you know that you know that you know that you are loved by God. Mm -hmm. And... After years of longing for that for myself, years of speaking that into other people's lives, I think that practice of the heart actually meant that it took root, that I could rest in not worrying about whether I was getting it wrong or whether God was disappointed with me or whether I was praying enough or whether my quiet times were intimate enough or intense enough or, you know, sometimes when you get on that track of in tunement with the Holy Spirit, it can also become this mountain you're climbing. Like it has to be more intense and more intimate. And, you know, the prayer life needs to be like that much more fantastic and ecstatic. And it's exhausting and it's unsustainable. And so to enter this space of rest, of saying, no matter what, no matter the most horrible interpretive error I make, my life is enfolded in the life of Christ. And, and we know these texts. Mm-hmm. We know the text, my life is hid with God in Christ. Um, but at a deep experiential level, uh, part of it is, is the choosing to believe that this is true, that I am the beloved. Uh, nothing I do or don't do, past, present, or future, changes that reality. Mm-hmm. Um, it somehow went from my head to my heart. Mm-hmm. And I I point to the courageous lives of other marginalized people who went against the grain, went against the powers that said you're wrong, you're a sinner, and believed that God loved them. Mm-hmm. And Jesus said, you'll know a good tree by the good fruit it bears. And I was seeing really good fruit in the lives of my LGBT Christian siblings in Christ. And that shifted things in me. And so I am so, so grateful. You know, I've served for 14 years in this ministry. And I feel like I've gotten much more out of it than I've put into it because it saved my own faith. I don't think I could have sustained the striving, perfectionistic, you know, constantly afraid and shame-based spirituality. Mm -hmm. Wendy, let's be honest the work that you're doing probably has isolated you with Christians, mm-hmm. which to me, that whole sense of not fitting in. Mm-hmm. And it takes great courage and strength and perseverance to do what you're doing. You know, I really, I, I commend you on that amazing work. How is that, though, for you personally, when you've been doing this work and and aligning yourself and loving 
you know, this group of people that are wonderful and amazing, and yet your brothers and sisters on the side of calling themselves followers of Jesus are so angry and 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 fear-filled about about this topic, about this group of people. Yeah, I think Philippians two one through eleven, the passage about the incarnation, about Jesus emptying himself, stripping himself of privilege, of status, of reputation, really has become a life force for me. That um, Jesus chose the strategy of powerlessness to change the world. And so, you know, again, we talk about things like sharing in the sufferings of Christ. But I think for me, the privilege of living in identification with those who are marginalized in a way that even with my history of not fitting in, I'm still a person of great privilege. And learning what it means to relinquish that has been so transformational. It has allowed me to transcend some of the trappings of worrying about what people think about me, worrying whether people like me, uh, worrying about you know whether I'll get that speaking invitation, or if I'm too bold, will I lose that speaking invitation? I've been able to let a lot of that go. And again, for that, I'm so grateful because it's so freeing and it enables you to be at rest. Mm-hmm. And so to, to live in that hidden place with Jesus, knowing that he was despised and rejected, that he was murdered because the most faithful religious people of his day thought he was a heretic, um, gives me a lot of comfort. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. What would you say, Wendy, to those who are struggling, I mean, with, you know, sexual identity, with... Um, even in in the light of issues with uh, terrorism and how people are feeling and insecurity about what's happening in the world, there's so many of us that have you know are feeling isolated, not fitting in. And yet, when I when I listen to and I look at you here in studio, there really is a sense of that rest that mm-hmm. you that that relinquishment of all these things that we try to hold really dear: control, power. This is how it should be. You know, create my own little box of how I live and what I do, and then I don't have to worry about really thinking thoughtfully about my, mm-hmm. my, my own faith and whatnot. But what would you say to a listener? Because, you know, we have so many different people on sort of the spiritual journey, yeah. and they're all in places, you know, long-term Christians, 50 years, mm-hmm. and just very, very new that I know that listen that are like, I don't know about this whole Jesus thing. What would be your encouragement if the, you know, for people who are in, in that place of not fitting in? Yeah, well, it's typical of the human heart that fear and control are the most energized things that move us and motivate us. And I had to ask myself, Wendy, how's that working for you? And it was not working. Um, and so I, I do think it is a practice of the heart to relinquish that and to find a rhythm. Eugene Peterson says, living in the unforced rhythms of grace. Um, and so I think risking letting go and realizing that that's not giving up it's not saying things don't matter but it's releasing yourself into the hands of a God who loves you Um, you know if you hold on to your life you'll lose it but if you lay your life down for your friends you'll find it Mm. thank you Wendy that was beautiful 
and a lot for even me to to learn and uh, I have a lot to think about in my own life and I think for many of you listeners as well uh, there's some some things for you to think about after listening to this show uh, if you want to know more about Wendy newdirection.ca make sure that you pick up her book generous spaciousness which has uh, some of the thoughts that mm-hmm. you've shared on the show today so make sure that you get that book and thanks again it was a real privilege an honor to have you here in studio. My delight. I learned a lot with Wendy on this show. And in my next chapter, there's my brain is still going on all the ideas and thoughts that she had said. But the one thing that really stood out for me is a sense of relinquishing our power and fear. And even for myself, I had to do a personal heart check on how I live my life. That a lot of times I try to control things. I put people in different boxes and compartments, and it's because I want to control my life, but the life of being with Jesus isn't about control. It's actually laying down your life. It's about relinquishing your power and letting Jesus lead you and guide you. And I want to be in that place of rest. I want to believe and live in that that I am beloved no matter who I am and what I do. And that's hard because... For many of you, you know that there's evil people in the world, and we and we like to say, no, Jesus can't love them. But the finger needs to be put at us and saying, if Jesus can't love them, can he love us? And yes, he loves all of us. And so I think that's going to be some takeaway, and I hope that it's a week of thinking through that. And if you want to ask me a question or need some prayer, then definitely go onto my Facebook at Your Story with Melinda. Thanks for listening to Your Story with Melinda, an exclusive presentation of FaithStrongToday.com. Listen to past episodes by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes and join the conversation with Faith Strong Today on Facebook.